Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger, and from Motley Fool Deep Value, Mr. Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Yo, hey, yo, hey, yo. Yo. We've got the latest earnings from Wall Street. We will go around the world of investing with Portfolio Manager Bill Mann, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin this week with Google, or should I say, Alphabet. Google announced a new corporate structure and revealed the company will be renamed. Yes, Alphabet. Uh, there will be two divisions, Maddie. Basically, one is Google stuff, Google Search, Maps, YouTube, etc., and the other division is going to be the moonshots, the uh, the driverless cars, yeah. basically the X-Lab, things. adventures, the things that don't sciences. make money yet. <laughs> right. uh, we were talking about this earlier. I really did think when I first saw this story, I thought it was a joke. And and uh, I, I'm I'm still wrapping my head around why they would remake their structure. Right. Well, I all of us I think had a pretty visceral reaction to this this name announcement. In fact, Larry Page in the letter where he described the restructuring, he said, you know, don't worry, we're still getting used to the name too. I think there are a lot of people getting used to the name. Uh, the the restructuring makes sense on a few levels. I mean, I think there's this idea that you tr- that Google is trying to build a forest instead of one tall tree. A lot of people have used that to describe Berkshire Hathaway and other conglomerates. I think even Buffett himself might have described Berkshire at some point like that. Uh, and a lot of people have, have applied that that sort of that metaphor to Google. I don't think it's fair because I think uh, this isn't necessarily a conglomerate. This is a company I think that's refocusing itself. Um, it realizes that it's got a, a very powerful business in Google, this business of search, the business of online advertising, and now mobile advertising. Uh, but it's got all these other things, and it's got um, you know all these ventures that people. Have no idea how much cash has been put into them over the years. No, no idea what kind of revenue is being generated or any cash flows. And so this is a chance for I think the company strategically to say, we've got this incredible business in Google. We're going to put a lot of effort behind that. It's going to be st- kind of standalone. And then we've got all these other businesses that are going to be under this one umbrella company. It makes it makes a lot of sense. My my concern is that it almost gives them the license here to go spend more and more cash than they even would have because they can break it out and say, no, 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 Google's good. We got it here, but. Over here is where we're spending all this ridiculous cash, but so don't worry. That's what I said precisely earlier in the week. In that, I, I think this is one of those things that it will ultimately give Page and Bryn that opportunity to spend more with less scrutiny from from Wall Street or from investors. And maybe that's a good thing. I mean, maybe it gives them the freedom to to really try some of the, those moonshots that will pan out. But I mean, to Maddie's point there, I mean, you have this umbrella where it's going to be okay. Well, we have Google, and then we have this. You know, the reporting I could just see it now. It's like this other cool stuff that just doesn't make money yet. And who knows how that's really going to pan out? I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a bad move. But I also think the comparison to Berkshire Hathaway, well, I've made my feelings very clear on that, Chris. And I think earlier in the week I called it something along the lines of dumb or a cop out. And I stand by that because, I mean, let's be very clear here. Maddie made the point that, you know, Berkshire Hathaway is acquiring and rolling up all of these great businesses under their under their umbrella. And then Warren Buffett is really giving those CEOs all of the freedom in the world to run those businesses. And I have a hard time believing that Larry Page and Sergey Brin would ever give their CEOs that same kind of leeway. Well, I, I think the best way to look at this, and I've, I've said this earlier in the week too, is that it's, it's, it's basically a big venture capital fund. It's a big venture capital fund that has made two extremely great Investment so far, Google and I'd say YouTube. Um, everything else are just bets right now, and they're bets that may or may not pay off. And so I think if you're an investor looking at Google now and looking at Alphabet, uh, that's the way to think about it. It's, it's a way if I can get this massive venture capital type fund in my portfolio, maybe that's the way to look at what it. What if they spin off the venture business? 
and then we just have a Google standalone. Oh boy! <laughs> now I'm, now I'm <laughs> back to where we started, right? <laughs> well, they just another company. They clearly wanted to get this out the door this week because they did not secure the URL alphabet.com. And congratulations to Chris Andrikanich of Cleveland, Ohio, uh, who is a dad, husband, and self-proclaimed geek. Because back in 2007, when he went on Twitter, he secured the at alphabet Twitter handle. So, congrats to him because I'm pretty sure a check is coming his way. Wow. Oh, and BMW owns the alphabet.com, right? Is that where we are? Okay. Yeah. Maybe they would have been more clever in doing alphabet A L F A B E T. Who knows? Elf, I don't, we'll have to investigate, uh, have to investigate if that's. I do. Well, I was going to say this name, Alphabet, it just makes me think of Fraggle Rock for whatever reason. I don't know <laughs> well, why. Well, there's one. I mean, one thing I do like about the name, and Larry Page kind of finished his letter by saying this, is that if you, know, if you break it apart, Alpha. Bet it's you know uh, it's a bet that uh, is supposed to beat some kind of benchmark. Uh, I, well, I like it from the Ron. I, I like it from this perspective. Is that in the sense that we're hopefully we're going to make bets? They're going to beat some kind of benchmark. Maybe that's the S and P five hundred. Maybe it's something else. But at least it's about beating something. And maybe there's a way and, to measure. And, and that's why Buffett never changed the name Berkshire Hathaway to something a little bit more sexy. Speaking of which, earlier in the week, Warren Buffett finally used his elephant gun, Berkshire Hathaway, buying Precision Cast Parts, the aviation and energy industry parts maker, for more than $37 billion in cash. Biggest deal ever for Berkshire Hathaway. Ron, do you like it? I like it. And my first sentence that I jotted down here, it said, time to reload the elephant guns. <laughs> <laughs> I do like it. He paid he paid up a little bit, but that's because there's a portion of this business that's related to the energy industry and things have been weak there. So, the multiple looks a little bit high. Stock has actually come down over the course of this year. So, I think he swooped in and did get a fine price. He'll spend $23 billion of his cash. He'll be left with still $40 billion. But as he says, that's really not enough. He wants more. The big elephant type elephant gun deals are off the table for the next 12 months as they um, replenish their cash hoard, which won't be too hard for them to do. And then maybe down the road, a year or two from now, we'll see another big one. They, they may continue to make some little tuck-in acquisitions um, along the way. But this is the kind of business that he likes, an industrial business well-run. CEO Mark Donegan will continue to run the business. It'll stay in Oregon. And you know, I think this is a nice deal. You think back a few years to when they bought Burlington Northern Railroad for somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-six billion. That was seen as a as a huge acquisition at the time. That has certainly paid off well. Five years from now, do you think we're going to be looking back at Precision Cast Parts and thinking it paid off just as well as the Burlington Northern deal did? Um, well, obviously, Mr. Buffett thinks so, and uh, it's certainly a bet on the aerospace industry, the airline industry, which, as we know, has been consolidating. And there, are, there are a lot of orders out there. Um, you know, the customers like Airbus and Boeing and GE um, are are placing lots of orders for for aerospace parts. So I, I think this will turn out well. Little foolish inside story here. I think this is interesting, and this is a shout out to our stock advisor team here at the Fool. Uh, several years ago, they recommended Precision Cast Parts and a company called Titanium Metals, and they recommended them the same day. And a few years later, Precision Cast Parts bought Titanium Metals, and then, of course, now Berkshire Hathaway, which is also a stock advisor recommendation, is buying Precision Cast Parts. I think that's kind of cool. Wayfair, the online seller of home furnishings and decor, lost money in the second quarter, but overall sales were up more than 65% compared to a year ago, and the stock up more than 40% this week, Jason. It, 
Is it that good or are expectations that low? Well, I, so I think, number one, if there was any question as to whether Wayfair actually came to play here and is a serious business, those questions have been answered because by every metric that really matters, I mean, this company is performing very well. They continue to grow sales. They continue to grow, you know, repeat customers. They really just, on, as this Ron might say, they're firing on all cylinders. I mean, gross margin is expanding. Um, and, you know, I think part of this is short covering. I mean, they have a low float on the market as, as it stands. And there was about a 34% short interest going into this release. So I think with this, with this, you know, earnings release, there are some shorts covering, which would explain that huge pop it's witnessed over the week. But by the same token, again, I mean that's not to take anything away from what this business is doing. It's very quality business, uh, founder-led, and uh, you know, I, I think that again, I, I referred back to the the repeat purchases, and I think that's that's crucial for this business because ultimately, I think people look at Wayfair and they see e-commerce. And, and honestly, what this is, truthfully, it's a logistics slash customer service com- uh, company, right? They they don't maintain any inventory really on their balance sheet, so to speak. Maybe twenty million in inventory at the most. And and what they do more or less is they they connect uh, those suppliers all around the country with customers, and they basically you know arrange to have those goods delivered to the customers. And so you know it's a great value for the suppliers because it all of a sudden opens sort of this mom and pop shop up to virtually the entire country. Uh, and then obviously it's helpful for Wayfair because they get to grow their presence around the entire country and that's what they continue to do and and then the, the key part really is growing that repeat customer base now they had they had 56 uh, better than 56% repeat customers this quarter and that's important because that means they don't have to go out and acquire those customers they've already acquired them and ultimately the long-term strategy is to be able to ratchet back those acquisition costs ratchet back those those SG&A costs the marketing the advertising which will really help expose the true profitability of this model and, and I like where they're headed I think the real question is, can I trademark that firing in all cylinders thing? I think you probably can. I'm leaving can, money on the I mean, table somehow. Last week, we, you know, we. <laughs> Twice, we I wasn't even week. here. You that were was, here. I you weren't here and you that. were here. Right? I th- yeah, I think we'll have to pay you a little something on the side. <laughs> Radio at fool.com is our email address. Question from Brian in Nebraska Do you see Wayfair getting bought out by Amazon, or are they just a smaller company enjoying their? Carved out niche in the marketplace. I saw Wayfair getting bought out by Amazon before they went public. That was honestly what I thought was going to happen. And I remember putting a, uh, you know, an article out on Fool.com saying as much because they had about a year before the IPO. I think that time has passed, though. I, I don't believe that Amazon would jump in there and acquire them at this point. Uh, because I don't think Wayfair wants to be acquired. I think that because they are founder-led, uh, you know, they they are calling all the shots in the business, and I think they really want to grow this thing for the long term. Alibaba's second quarter revenue up 28%, but that was lower than expected. And, Maddie, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of the Chinese e commerce giant going public. And this week, the stock hit a new low. Amazingly. It's just, yeah, it's just slightly above its IPO price. Of course, we know it skyrocketed uh, after its IPO. It's down 30% this year. By the way, I want to point out that with Alibaba's fall, they are now trading a lower market cap than Amazon. So uh, that was know. not the case last November. That was bigger than Amazon. Well, I mean, and it, it was, bigger than Walmart. There was a world killer aspect to this company when it when IPO'd last year, and I just feel like you know, well, good luck with that. Now, I think Amazon is certainly rightfully the king of e-commerce, but this is there's a lot of issues going on with the Chinese economy, um, a lot of macro concerns. I don't think this is a business. I feel like this is a business that's not very focused right now. They they had you know they had a U.S. business that they've pulled back on. They're trying to you know up you know kind of increase their international transactions. It doesn't seem like that's working out so well. Still, I mean, they they account for eighty percent of e-commerce in China. You cannot ignore this company. They also announced a four billion a four billion dollar buyback, which is pretty pretty big. But I see I do see a company that's trading at fifteen times sales. And if I'm looking at a growth rate now of thirty percent or less, that's and declining. 
Um, and, and by the way, that growth rate, I mean, a year ago when they IPO'd, their growth, year over year growth rate was 60%. So that's quite a deceleration. Um, so if I'm going to pay 15 times sales for Alibaba, that kind of growth, I'd rather pay two and a half times sales for Amazon and I can get growth over 20%. Up so. next, retail, restaurants, and a surprising stock offering. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Time for a tale of two retailers. Second quarter profits for Nordstrom came in higher than expected. JCPenney lost nearly $140 million in the second quarter, but that was still better than analysts were expecting, Ron, and both stocks up on Friday. Yeah, tale of two stocks, though. Don't let the two, two companies, don't let the fact that both stocks are up fool you. Um, Nordstrom uh, doing a great job. Um, we saw a 20% growth in Nordstrom.com, and comp sales are up 4.9%. Their recent anniversary sale did really well, thanks to my wife, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, thank you, honey. Um, and and the, the, the business continues to do really well, focusing on what they do best, which is great customer service, opening plenty of new stores, uh, moving it to Canada. We hope they fare better than our friends Target did, um, but there's plenty of expansion there. J.C. Penney, on the other hand, all right, making progress. Okay, I'll give it to them. Smaller loss, but still losing money. Um, Comstar sales were up 4.1 percent, but the the um, the comps from last year were, were were not so impressive. That's not such a hard thing to do. Sephora division was their one piece of strength. So let's see if they keep on the right track. But guess what? They've got to start making money. Um, just smaller losses. Isn't going to cut it. I feel like Mike Ullman did a very smart thing by sort of he came in after the Ron Johnson debacle. Mike Ullman, you could argue, turns J.C. Penney's business around basically by reversing almost everything Johnson did. Right. And earlier this then he month, dropped the mic. Uh, yeah, he dropped the <laughs> mic. He handed the the CEO office over to Marvin Ellison and basically say, "Hey, look, man, the stock's up more than thirty percent year to date. Good luck with this." Yeah, and and they are raising expectations. Um, as I said, they're not profitable yet, so they, we look mostly at an EBITDA measure, a measure of, of a cash flow metric, um, and they're raising expectations for that. Gross margins were up a bit, so okay, let's let's see how this goes. On last week's conference call, Tesla Motors CEO Elon Musk said the company has no need to raise capital. So it was a little bit of a surprise this week when the company announced an additional offering of stock to the tune of more than five hundred million dollars. Matty, I thought they didn't need the money. I know. Well. <laughs> You know, it's it's no surprise. I expected this at some point. I just didn't expect it this fast, especially a week after yes, he said of, it. Of course, which was which was a big surprise to me. I I I can defend this by a lot because I mean it's really it amounts to about two percent of Tesla's outstanding shares. Elon Musk has come out and said he's going to buy twenty million in the offering, um, which is which is nice. Uh, more importantly, you know, there's a there's a when your when your stock is trading where Tesla's is, it can often make sense to issue stock, and I think it makes sense. And sometimes you know you don't always need the cash. But it can be strategically a good time to raise cash, and so I think they said, you know what, we've got a lot going on in the next six months. Gigafactories being produced, Model X is coming out. They've had a lot of production issues there. Let's let's resolve some long-term risk by issuing cash or issuing shares right now with our stock pretty high. I think it's a I think it's a smart move. Shake Shack's second quarter profit was higher than expected. Revenue up seventy five percent, and they raised guidance. And all of that sounds good, Jason, on the surface. But Wall Street seems unimpressed because, holy cow, the stock took a dive this week, down more than 20%. Well, and secondary offerings that aren't working out so well. Right. <laughs> I think that maybe Shake Shack is one. Um, you know, I mean, it was a it was a good quarter. I mean, same store sales were up almost 13% for the quarter, and that was versus 4.5% growth the same quarter last year. 
they are growing the top line at a very respectable level. So, so the business is performing well. I think that what many of us have questioned here is, generally speaking, just the overall market opportunity because it is, after all, just a burger place, right? And so, you know, there are plenty of those around the country. And if you go all the way out to the West Coast and you have your In-N-Out burger there, you know, I would argue probably the same as is, you know, how well does that translate over here? I'm not sure how well. Uh, you know, Shake Shack translates uh, further further west. Well, I guess we'll we'll find out soon enough because they are opening some stores out there to get a feel for it. Uh, but then I think some of the news that really I'm, I'm not convinced maybe that market foolery didn't leak early that day because we were sitting here talking about this <laughs> and the right. stock was just up. It was doing well, and then right after we got done taping, man, that's when the bottom fell out. Well, this is I mean, and we've seen this type of thing happen over and over this Very earnings period. This it's earnings really season. sort of weird the way the initial reaction to a stock because initially when Shake Shack reported reported the stock popped and it was going that in that direction for a few hours and 7.5% after and hours. then uh, it seems like over time more questions get asked and whether it's Shake Shack or some other company it, it we're really seeing uh, I don't know. It's really odd. I've Ron. seen it several times this quarter, where, as you said, either after hours or before the market opens, stock is strong. But then when the conference call comes, usually at nine, ten, sometimes even at eleven a.m., and we hear a little bit more, we hear about expectations going forward. Analysts get to ask questions. We see the stock reverse one way or the well, other. Well, and, and keep in mind, Steak and Shake. Or I always want to say Shake, <laughs> shake Shack. You know, has a very narrow float right now, and they're going to. I mean, they're issuing shares, but that's mostly for uh, so insiders can cash out. I. I just as we were talking over the past week, I just this is a company with a, a the market valuation on this company. If you look at the per store valuation of over thirty five million dollars, and you, normally that would be reserved for companies that are growing very very fast. Now the same store sale growth is nice, but this is a company that's going to open maybe twelve restaurants over the next twelve months. It is not growing. I mean, it's not growing at very high rates. I don't I don't see how they can hold on to this valuation. Right, and put that in the context of Chipotle. I mean, where Chipotle is going to they're going to open 170, 180, 190 stores in a year. Versus Shake Shack's, you know, twelve to fourteen, and then, I mean, to the point about the secondary offering. This is a secondary offering, and precisely as Maddie just said, there, it's for insiders to cash out. The company's getting none of this money, and so I mean, that could be sort of a sign there that insiders are feeling like, hey, this is a pretty decent valuation. We want to go ahead and cash out, and and because of that low float, you know, your average retail investor is probably thinking, hey, what in the world? Right. Maybe this isn't really, uh, right. you know, all this crap. I, I would never want to participate in an IPO or a secondary follow-on offering where the insiders were the prime motive. Was for they own fifty percent of the company. Why would I be left holding their bag? Right. Um, no, thank you. That just doesn't big make red flags. And they're all company owned, right? Should, should they seriously? No, no, they're not all company owned. Uh-huh. Actually, there a lot of them. Uh, obviously, the international locations, which they have, which they have a number of, um, are are uh, licensed, and so they aren't all company owned. Um, and I think that's one thing you know we've seen before with Jerry Morell, for example, Five Guys. He was very much. If he if he could buy all those licensed stores back, he would because they are cash machines. But it's just a way for for companies to grow quickly to license those stores, especially if they're going to you know expand internationally. That they're just not going to be able to really own those stores. All right, guys, we'll see you later in the show. Coming up after the break, a conversation with Bill Mann about what's been happening in China and what it means for U.S. investors. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Bill Mann is the portfolio manager at Motley Fool Funds, and he joins me in the studio now. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. There's a lot going on in the world of investing, the global world of investing. So um, let's start with China, because the last time you were on the show, that's where we started. We'll start there again, because earlier this week, the good people at the central bank in China devalued its currency. And uh, I think it's fair to say that sent a little bit of a shockwave. Through their markets, um, but it also sort of sent this signal that, Beijing, hey, 
guess guess what? Things aren't so great. Yeah. I mean, am I wrong? <laughs> that was the first. Do you th- remember a few years ago? When people were trying to set up Chinese renminbi bank accounts here, like, yeah. And now you have the central bank essentially sending the signal, we think this economy is sputtering. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at any country that sells, you know, that is commodity driven, they could have told you that a long time ago. In fact, you know, they did tell you that a long time ago. So I just literally think that China makes up its own statistics and they're just making up these moves as they go. They are, if they're not panicking, they are making a very good show of panicking between the moves that they've made with the market, with their stock market, where they literally on the on the five o'clock news. I don't know if it's actually on at five, but you know, they, the the state-run media for the last year and a half has been hyping the stock market. So people have been pushing their way in. It doubled, almost tripled, and then fell. 35%, which if you look is still pretty good, right? And it's somehow a crisis. I, I And they've panicked. They've said, okay, if you own more than 5% of a company, you can't sell it. We're going after these vicious short sellers who are also known as people who are just trying to sell. <laughs> I, the next thing that they could just do is like just make up closing prices. Okay, we want this to be seven, so it's seven, right? Like it's it's it is amazing what is happening there. It's not a market. Well, and the last time you were on, one of the things we talked about was if you're a U.S. investor, rather than look to just sort of jump into the Chinese market with both feet, maybe look at U.S. companies that do a lot of business in yeah. China. But now. You look at companies, and let me just list a few across a range of industries: Qualcomm, Yum Brands, Texas Instruments, Win Resorts. These are all companies, U.S.-based companies, good who, companies who are making more than forty percent of their revenue from China. Yeah, and looking at what happened this week, I mean, how much trouble are these businesses in right now? I mean, it kind of depends. In 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 a lot of ways, the, the the those companies, all their contracts are dollar denominated. But you know, so in some ways, it might be good for them if they've got labor there because their labor costs in you know in uh, Chinese currency and yen has dropped. So. But if you're Apple and you're thinking about how many more iPhones you can sell in China, the fact that the economy is slowing down, I don't think it's good for anybody. I really don't. You know, I, 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 it just goes to show that sometimes rampant bull markets, and and define that as you will, but a long-running bull market hides a great deal of rot. And so when it pulls back just a little bit, that rot is exposed. I, I and I think that the I think that the Chinese government and I don't know that they did this on purpose where they you know where they literally managed to incite a riot and get everyone to put money into stocks, but I, don't, I think they did themselves no favors by really fomenting for the market to go up that fast because nobody could adjust right. So you have a, a market that's essentially doubled in this in the past year and it's a disaster and people are selling their prized llamas in the streets, you know, to try and raise money. And that's actually true. There was a story about a guy trying to sell his prized llama. But maybe for another show. For, no, no, no. Let's stick with, <laughs> let's stick with the prized llama. Why is he selling his prized llama? Because he needs money. It's his llama or his house. I mean, he's put he poured money into the stock market, into these garbage quality companies because they were going up. I mean, it's not a sophisticated market. Well, and, you know, there are garbage companies, and then there are also massive on the surface of it, stable 
yeah. companies like PetroChina, which is a huge energy company. And when you think about big energy companies, one of the things you think about in terms of the stock is its stability or sure. what should be its stability. Yeah, it's they, not, it is now one of the most volatile large company stocks in the world. Yeah, it's as volatile as some of the pink sheet stocks here in the US. I mean it is really it is really remarkable what's what what's what what's happening there. And people are panicking. And you know they 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 probably should, but it's you know it is the downside of a market that's gone up that fast. And yeah, I mean companies like PetroChina, I mean obviously it's in the oil sector, so it's got, you know, it 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 has you know it's been hit by you know some commodity prices and things of that nature, but a three hundred billion dollar market cap company should not move. I mean, it's having swings of a hundred billion dollars over you know in market cap over over short periods of time, which is unreal when you think about it. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Bill Mann, the portfolio manager at Motley Fool Funds, which. As of the latest public filing, had more than seven hundred thirty million dollars under management. Uh, let's bring it uh, back to the United States. Earlier this week, Berkshire Hathaway very much in the headlines with a more than thirty-seven billion dollar acquisition of Precision Cast Parts. Yeah, um, they spent some money. They spent some money, and I know you are a fan of Warren Buffett, but I get the sense that you are not a fan of this deal. Oh no 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 no! I, I actually I, I think that the deal is good, and you know, and Precision Cast Parts is a fine company. I just find, I think it's probably from having you know from 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 having been brought up as an investor, looking at message boards, you know, at, you know, at the Fool and elsewhere, and the Berkshire fanatics have a very very strange way of loving every deal that Buffett has you know has ever done instantly. And 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 I think and you and I were talking about the this off you know off air before we were taping. There actually are some people you know who are who are not that happy about the deal. Who would prefer that he hold cash? You think that he paid too much? But it's just always amazing to me because people and and Buffett I think deserves the benefit of the doubt more than perhaps any investor alive. But you know immediately when he does something, it's automatically in their eyes brilliant. And I just think that it's com- you know it's 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 a commentary on you know on on you know people's willingness to trust the master, if you will. I I, I think that the deal, I think it's a great deal for uh, for for uh, for Berkshire. I saw commentary the other day that this deal signaled the end of. Berkshire Hathaway as a mutual fund proxy, um, and I've I've never really liked it when people have called Berkshire a mutual fund because it you know it 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 fundamentally isn't. But I think that that's an you know I think that that's an apt description of what's happening with this deal. I was kind of heartened by the reaction because, and I'm not a Berkshire shareholder, but just like last week where we saw. Planet Fitness going public and the market just sort of collectively yawned, and I thought, At well, that's yeah, that's <laughs> it's nice that we're not just going to automatically throw a parade for every company that goes public. I liked that this deal was scrutinized in a way that said, you know what, we're going to give you a standing ovation for the Heinz deal, maybe, but we're not so sure about this. Yeah, one. people, yeah, there were people who were talking about how much they paid for the Heinz deal, which in hindsight, I mean, was. Buffett ask, you know, it was it was it was genius. But I just think it's funny. I mean, you know, Buffett could come out and you know announce that they, you know that they've bought you know any type of you know any type of company here, and and people would cheer. 
Radio at Fool.com is our email address. A couple of internationally flavored emails. First from T.C. Hogan in North Andover, Massachusetts. That's part of this country, by the way. I know that's, that's part of That's not country. international. T.C.'s question is not about the... But you're, you're well familiar with North Andover. I was in North Andover, Massachusetts 48 hours ago at... Uh, at, at, at a place called Harrison's Roast Beef, which when I was in <laughs> high school, when I was, yeah, so TC right now is nodding because Harrison's Roast Beef is awesome. We used to call it the promised land when we were in high school. Is it and, still the promised land? Oh, God. So TC's email, uh, the subject line is, what's the deal with Chile? Um, and I won't read the entire thing, but he basically gets at his interest <laughs> in the Santiago uh, stock market uh, and sort of looking at the data there and trying to make sense of how here's an international market which, depending on which source you're looking at, whether it's the Wall Street Journal or Yahoo Finance or, or something, you're getting different sets Super of data. Super different numbers. So, so, first and foremost, I know you look at a lot of different markets. When you, when you look at Chile, what's the, what's the thesis for investing in Chile? So, Chile is one of the cheaper markets in the world right now, simply because it is a, it is a market that is dominated by uh, natural resources, primarily copper, you know, which is more of an industrial Real metal and copper prices have you know have have, have fallen through the floor and so a comp- you know for a, a country like Chile, a lot of times people are going to look at these commodity prices and they are going to extrapolate onto every other company in you know in in the market. They're going to say, well, we need to get out of Chile because we don't we don't think the price of copper is going to you know go go up anytime soon. But there are great companies in Chile. I mean, there's Vina Conciatoro, which is the one of the world's largest winemakers, is there. It's, you know, it's a fabulous company. Um, How do you square the data? Because I think it's great that he's looking at a market outside the U.S. And I think for anyone who's looking outside, we talk about yeah. trying to trust the data from China. But let's set aside. That's different. Let's set that aside That's for a different. moment. I mean, when when you're looking at any international market. Uh, how do you figure out a way to sort of square two sets of data from two seemingly reputable sources? Yes. Well, so I, I think if you look, and I, and one of the places that is readily and freely online available online that I that I look at is is Bloomberg, and they've got market data. And if you click down on the countries, you will notice something, which is, and you can think about this intuitively in the United States, and it makes sense. We tend to think of Japan as being the Nikkei, or we think of Germany as being the DAX, but every country has a number of indices. And I, you know, I looked this morning, and there are three or four listed for Chile alone. And you know, there's the select, there's the general, which is a broader set of indices. But then there's also ones that are dividend and not dividend adjusted. You know, so so the the, the data actually squares and sometimes they're wildly different, but I think that the aggregator sources and Yahoo would be one of them. And I think that was one that uh, that 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 he mentioned sometimes are a little bit fast and loose about the description of what they're displaying is it dividend you know is it you know is it impacted by dividends or are they reinvested is it the general so um i would i would look at bloomberg i mean i would say in in, in a lot of ways we don't you know we don't spend too much time looking at you know looking at the indices in that close of a fashion question from richard anderson a listener in sweden who asks what should international investors consider before investing in the U.S. stock market? I like this. It's the exact opposite wow. of the question that uh, that yeah. we get. Uh, yeah. Do you trust? Do you trust the United States market? 
I would think so. I would say that the United States market has, in some ways, the you know when you go to the bowling alley and you've got the like the you know there's the you know they're 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 the kids alleys where they put the buffers up so the bowling ball can't go into the gutter. I love that. That's the only way I bowl. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Crushed it. No yeah. gutter balls for me. <laughs> the U.S. market has those you know because it is such a diverse market and it has such a strong regulatory um, oversight. It's kind of like that market in the world. I mean, China's the exact opposite. It's all gutter, you know, like you gutter, right? Dental floss going down the middle. If you can hit that, you might hit a pin. Um, the U.S. is a is is a very very safe market. It is the most diverse economy in the world. There's the broadest range of of types of companies and industries. The thing that I would say about the United States, and this will be, you know, this will seem a little bit odd, but You've seen the thing where the SEC is now coming out and showing what the you know what what the salary of the you know of the CEO is versus the average worker. These types of corporate corporate governance issues, I think, are deeply inferior in the U.S. than they are in Europe. And you should really be careful about the managements that you invest in. I would say that in 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 Europe, in you know, in in let's take Sweden since that's where uh, that that's where he's from. You're going to find managers who are, you know, much closer to the middle. In the in the United States, you will find all types. So I would be I I would be careful about corporate governance issues, and buy stocks for you know with management teams who seem to be aligned with their shareholders. You can sign up for declarations. It is the free monthly newsletter from Motley Fool Funds. Just go to foolfunds.com and you can sign up for declarations. Portfolio manager at Motley Fool Funds, Bill Mann. Thank you for being here, my friend. Good to see you, Chris. Coming up next, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio once again, Jason Moser, Matt Argersinger, and Ron Gross. Guys, before we get to the stocks on our radar, one more earnings story of note. On Friday, shares of El Pollo Loco got roasted. Second quarter revenue came in lower than expected. Same store sales up just 1.3%, Jason, and the stock taking a dive down more than 20% on Friday. Right, and we talk about uh, concerns of the market opportunity with something like uh, Shake Shack, and I think that same same dynamic is in play here with El Pollo Loco, because they have such a Western presence, we're not really sure how well that translates to the East. Uh, in their S1, they stated they see a market opportunity around 2,300 stores versus about 415 that, that they have today. Uh, it's interesting to note that you mentioned that, that same-store sales number. That's system-wide. If you look at the company-owned same-store sales, those were actually down a half a percent, and that's a red flag. Wow. Whenever we see those company-owned stores do worse than the franchise stores, that's that's got to raise a big question mark right there. And so, I think between the actual growth numbers this company's lobbing up, along with the fact that we've, you know, I, I just think the, the question of the market opportunity is very valid one. Uh, I think the sell-off in the stock was very warranted, and I'm not really sure this is one uh, that would even look attractive today. 
All right, let's get to the stocks on our radar, and we'll bring in our man Steve Broido from the other side of the glass to hit you with a question. Matt Argusing, you're up first. What are you looking at? I'm looking at uh, you know I'm looking at a stodgy value company today. I'm looking at American Express. Yes, finally, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm there, Father. I'm there. Ticker AXP for American Express, and uh, you know I just it's a company that's on our million dollar portfolio watch list. We haven't bought it for the portfolio yet, but uh, it's something that certainly I'm paying attention to. I mean, you have it's it's come down a lot over the past 12 months related to the Costco uh, deal. They've they've lost that exclusivity there, but you're you're paying only 14 times earnings for American Express today. That's that's half the multiple of Visa, Mastercard, and I just for that kind of business for the quality of the business that American Express is the brand. I just think it's a great price right now. And the ticker AXP. Steve, question about American Express? You bet. I'm a current shareholder, and I have an Amex card, which I'm about to cancel, I think. <gasps> Whoa! Because of the Costco deal, oh. and because I'm getting so much bet- a better deal through Amazon.com, they've got a great thing. Convince me not to cancel this card. I, I, I mean, I can't. I mean, it sounds like if you if you love Costco or if you and you prefer Amazon, American Express might not be the place anymore. Jason. I hope it is for millions more of other people though as well. <laughs> Jason Moser, what are you looking at? Well, I'm going to dip into another blue chipper here, going with Walt Disney ticker DIS. These shares have been shellacked this week, down almost 12% since the earnings uh, earnings came out. Uh, there are concerns of subscriber headwinds in regard to the ESPN property and their cable networks in general. I think those are a bit short sighted. I think you know there's sort of the question of the brand and whether there's a weakness there. I don't think it's a question of the brand. I think it's a question on the distribution side, which is still a, a bit of an unknown. And, and I think that management has recognized this, and that's something that they'll be you know attacking here in the next five to ten years. I actually think this is an opportunity for them to get ESPN in front of even more eyeballs, uh, thanks to the proliferation of mobile uh, devices all over the world and the fact that sports translates everywhere. Uh, so I actually encourage there. And then when you look at the shorter term catalyst on the Horizon and Star Wars and Disney Shanghai. I just think there's too much to look forward to with this business. And if you're looking for one to buy and hang on to for years to come, this is a great one. Steve, question about Walt Disney? My question is the new Star Wars. Are you as excited as I am? I well, how excited are you? I'm very excited. I hope there's no Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I would say I'm doubly excited, Steve. Doubly. What an easy question. I mean, look what I got. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right, Ryan Gross, what are you looking at? I got Graham Corporation, GHM, a new deep value watch list stock for me. Not a recommendation. They make vacuum and heat transfer equipment for energy, defense, and chemical industries. Boom. U.S. Navy's a large customer. Only $180 million market cap here. Profitable, great balance sheet because of the weakness in the energy sector. Stock has um, come down quite a bit, um, trading near its 52 week low. We've got less than two times tangible book, four and a half times EBITDA. As I said, tons of cash, almost no debt. Stock is probably worth 10 to 15% more based on normalized earning, not counting any future growth going forward. I need to dive in a little bit to the competition here, but it looks really interesting to me. Steve, question about Graham Holdings? How did you find this company, Ron? <laughs> well, I run a series of screens on uh, some uh, software we have here where I put in some criteria that I'm looking for. It spits back a couple dozen, and I spend my days sifting through them. Is one of the tabs you click unsexy? Because <laughs> when, when you describe that business. Boring is good, my friend. All right, Steve. Graham Holdings, Walt Disney, American Express. Anything of interest to you there? I don't know. Graham Holdings sounds pretty interesting. There I like companies go. like that. I just want to know where Ron's finding them. <laughs> All right. Ron Gross, Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. That is going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week when our guest will be Tess Vigland, the former host of Marketplace Money. Marketplace Money.